Here we are, the Sunday after Christmas, the Sunday before the new year starts, and we are closing out the old year and venturing into something new. I bet there are a lot of, of things that you'd like to close out or leave behind from 2020. Well, we are on the verge of the new. What will 2021 bring? What new adventures can we look forward to? Some of us here are probably thinking about our, our New Year's resolutions, maybe some new routines, some new goals, a new you. Paul is showing us a new horizon, a new identity, a new way of living. Let me ask you this. Do you want a new identity? The letter to the Galatians has been about a church that Paul helped found, and then that started to stray in its understanding of the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the word that they had been given and that they had trusted in. This is very much like the world that we live in today. There are all sorts of messages out there about who Jesus is and what he was all about. Was he just a, a good teacher who got the religious leaders a, a little hot under the collar and, and tragically was killed by them? Is he a magician that everyone wants, you know, everything that you want, he's there to meet all of your wildest dreams, but if you just have enough faith? Or is he the God that comes and goes but doesn't really give a, a care about the problems of this world? Is he any of that or is he something different? Well, there is a new way and Paul continues his argument to this young church, pleading with them to seek the truth and not the false message that some others are trying to lure them away with. And Paul really comes out as a pastor at this point in his message. We, we've seen a Paul who has been pretty blunt and direct with his church, even going so far as to call them fools. And if we're honest, we probably don't think much about that pastoral approach, do we? We may even regulate that to another category, maybe even one that we'd like to shy away from or, or ignore. Maybe we're even offended by it. And in chapter 4 of Galatians, we see, Paul, we see a Paul that has now kind of softened his tone a bit, pulled them in and addressed them first as brothers and sisters, and then in a very intimate pastoral tone, he calls them his children. Yes, this is what we want, but, but the reality is, his whole argument is based on his pastoral position and love for them, both the harsh and the soft tone. Both the bringing of weighty truth that they would need to grab onto because their lives depend on it, and the soft tone where he is trying to pull them in closely as family. Both, Paul, both of these are pastoral, and both are brought because of his love for a church that is moving in a dangerous direction. As we look at these next few verses, we're going to frame the text around the idea of prayer. Three prayers to be exact. The prayer for God to show us how to walk in His grace. A prayer for God to help us trust in His Word. And a prayer for God to give us a great passion for our purpose. And these three prayers, that they're appropriate for any church that wants to follow Christ faithfully. Well, Galatians 4, 8 through 11 says this, But in the past, since you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. But now, since you, are known, you know God, or rather have become known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elements? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You are observing special days, months, seasons, and years, and I am fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. Paul returns to one of his favorite descriptions of how we experience life. Slavery. We were, we were slaves to this world, un, unable to serve any other master. 
fully tied to what was going on in this world. Its problems, its temptations, the way that it leads us to stumble, the way that it draws us away from one another with the promises of achieving our own dreams, our own successes, no matter what else happens. Paul says that these are not true gods, but basically we have made them the gods of our lives. And he says in, to this Galatian church, this is not the end of your story. You did not stay in bondage to the things of this world. You, you took on a new identity as sons and daughters of God. And then he asks the ongoing question that he's been asking throughout this whole letter. What happened? Why are you turning away? Why are you adding things that don't need to be added to your lives? Let me tell you a little story, he says. And then he brings them back to their old friend Abraham, to a time in Abraham's life when he was actually experiencing a pretty big struggle because he worked, uh, he worked in his own power. He tried to, to, to work in his own power in, in the flesh. Paul says, what came out of that struggle is an illustration of what it means to stay under the law or go back to the law or, or um, compared to, to living in our new freedom. Galatians 4, 21 through 31 says this, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one uh, by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born through promise. These things, these things are being taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. And now Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, uh, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For his written, Rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth. Burst into song and shout, You who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate woman will be many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Now you two brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as then the, the children born of the, as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the Spirit, so also now. But what does the Scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave, but of a free woman. Paul uses this illustration uh, this story is an illustration to contrast the, the child born into slavery, Ishmael, and the child born from the promise, Isaac. And while he's at it, he contrasts the mothers and their part in this story as well. A woman under slavery and a woman of freedom. Hagar, Abraham's servant, and Sarah, Abraham's wife. Hagar and Ishmael, they stand for the old covenant, the law. The, the added things that the Judaizers, they were, they were pushing on these Gentile Christians. The, the product of slavery, products of slavery. In comparison to Sarah and Isaac, who represent the new covenant of freedom found in our faith in Jesus Christ. With, with the illustration of Sarah and Hagar in verse 21 through 23, as well as the mention of our slavery to sin in verses 8 through 11, Paul is saying exactly what he's been saying throughout Galatians. We've not been obedient to the law. The old covenant was given at Mount Sinai and required God's people to keep the law. But we have all disobeyed the law, which means salvation can't come through the law. So, how does salvation come? It comes because we've been awakened by the Spirit. The key phrase in, in chapter 4, verse 28, where it says that Isaac was born according to the Spirit. 
This was the difference between Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael was born according to the flesh, that is in the natural way that children are born. Abraham and Hagar attempted to produce an heir through their own human ability, since Abraham's wife Sarah couldn't have children. But Isaac was born supernaturally, in the sense that this was something that could only happen if God intervened with a miracle between a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman. And this takes us back to Galatians 3.2, where Paul asks the church, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing uh, with faith? Paul is telling us that our our, our status as sons, as, as children of faith in God's promises come by the Spirit and not by the natural human effort that we try to produce. So we saw, we see Paul taking us through his argument of how we, we got to the place where we are right now. We are children because of the work of the Spirit. And because of that work of the Spirit, we are no longer slaves to religion. Paul is once again reiterating in this passage that we are no longer slaves. That's the whole point of this illustration with Hagar and Sarah, namely that we are to get rid of the slave woman and her son. We are get rid of the sin and the, the law, and the, the bondage that comes through the law. We are not slaves to the law anymore. We are children of freedom. We're not slaves by, we're, we're not saved, excuse me, by obeying the law in addition to trusting in Christ for salvation, which is exactly what the Galatians had started thinking as a result of the Judaizers. Paul describes the situation of, of the Galatians in, in verses 8 through 11 of chapter 4. In verse 8, Paul says that the Galatians were slaves to those who are not gods, a, a reference to false gods or demons. Remember that, that most of the Galatian Christians, most of this church, they were, they were not formally Jewish but they were pagan. Therefore, Paul essentially reminds them that they used to worship pagan gods. Then in verse nine, he says that they, they, they're, they're, they're turning back to that slavery. And what are they turning back to do? The apostle, he gets very specific in verse 10 saying that their slavery is shown in their observance of special days, months, seasons, and years. And that's just a general reference to a broad range of Jewish festivals, their events, and their celebrations. What Paul is saying here is astonishing. He tells the Galatians that they, they used to be pagans who worshiped demons, but then they were set free by the gospel. Now they're turning to Jewish holidays and festivals, giving themselves to slavery and paganism again. Did you catch that? Paul is talking about those who, who celebrate these Jewish holidays and festivals as a way to get to God, and he's equating their, their ceremonies with the same pagan religious practices the Galatians participated in before they came to Christ. In other words, Paul refers to these Jewish ordinances as demonic when they're approached as ways to make oneself right before God. This is the exact same thing pagans are doing in their religions. Let, let me put it in some modern language. If you go to church, sing songs, study the word, thinking this is how you're going to work to earn God's favor, then you are no different from the one, over one billion Hindus in the world today who are bowing down to their gods. This is, this is a little tough here. If your Christianity is a, a check off the box in order to make you feel good about yourselves before God, in order to save your skin on the day of judgment, then your Christianity is no different from every other religion in the world, and ultimately it will condemn you. Paul is uncovering a scheme of the devil in the first century that continues in the 21st century. It's very effective, subtle and dangerous and deceiving, but effective. So what if, what if Satan's strategy to condemn your soul involves not tempting you to do all the wrong things, 
but instead leading you to do all the right things with the wrong spirit. What if Satan actually wants you to come to church, lead a small group, teach, lead your home in an upright way? What if he's in favor of you doing all those things just so long as you think that by doing those things, you're working your way to God? One pastor put it like this. He says, well, you say, I pray. Big deal. Muslims pray. You say, well, I go to worship. Big deal. Hindus go to worship. They worship all day long. You say, well, I study the Bible. So did Jehovah's Witnesses. They, they can quote scripture better than most Christians. You say, well, I go on missions trips. So do the Mormons. You know, they, they get scores because of uh, the, the years they give to, to con- converting other people to their religion. These are really convicting statements, right? If your or my Christianity consists of slavery to religion in order to make yourself or make myself right before God, then it's just as if you're giving yourself to the pagan religions of the world. But Christianity is radically different from those worldly religions. Rather than slaves of religion, we are sons and daughters in a relationship with God. Paul says that the Galatians know God, and then he pauses and he says, or rather have become known by God. To use language of of chapter 4, 1 through 7, we are sons and daughters of God. Why would we live like a slave to religion when we are sons in a relationship with God? God knows us intimately, and the idea here is of a, a deep personal knowledge. We know God, and He knows us. God has allowed us to have an intimate, close relationship with Him, but we can either make Christianity just to be like every other religion of the world and check off our boxes every week and go through the routines and ritual, or we can step into this intimate presence of God. We ought not be a people who prayed a prayer a while ago and now are just trying to do our best to get things right with our lives week after week and and that kind of routine. We should be a people who walk with God and know Him intimately. We ought to serve God wholeheartedly, not because we're trying to make ourselves right, but because we've, we've been made right by God's grace. Grace. He, he, we walk with him as sons who know him and love him and enjoy him and glorify him no matter what it costs us. Well, having seen how we got here and who we are, our identity, Paul also wants us to know where we're going. In chapter 4, verse 25, Paul talks about how Hagar responds to the earthly city of Jerusalem, which symbolizes slavery. But there is a freedom in the heavenly Jerusalem. In being a child of promise, living for the Jerusalem that is above, in verse 26 he says that. And Paul reminds us that because we are free, we are not living for earthly pleasure. We aren't in slavery to the weak and miserable principles of this world. Instead, we are living for a heavenly home. We're free people who are no longer in bondage to this world. We don't live like everyone else does, nor do we live for what everyone else lives for. We're sons who live for a father who is preparing a place for us in a heavenly home, and this changes everything about our lives in this world. You know, may may God show us how to walk in his grace. We've all been saved by grace. That much is clear. But but Paul's burden for the church at Galatia is for them to realize what it means to live by that grace. Not as slaves to religion, but as sons in a relationship to God. And not for earthly pleasure, but for a heavenly home. For many of us, there is so much room to grow in this area. That's for all of us. So the, the first prayer in this passage is that God would show us how to walk in his grace. And here's the second. God, Help us to trust 
in your word. We've walked through verses 8 through 11 and, and 21 through 31, somewhat like, like bookends to this section of the letter in, in Galatian, uh, into the Galatian church. And now we need to take a peek at the middle section and prayerfully ask God to help us to trust his word. Uh, this was something that the church was having a hard time doing. Galatians 4, 12 through 16 says this, I beg you, brothers and sisters, hear, hear the pastoral tone then. I beg you, brothers and sisters, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have not wronged me. You, you know that I previously preached the gospel to you because of a weakness of the flesh. You did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial for you. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. So then I have become your enemy because I told you the truth. Paul is telling the church in verse 12 that he became like, like the Galatians in order to lead them to Christ. He says that's, that is, he was a Jewish man. He set down the law and the requirements of the law to come and live like them so that he could help them walk in the freedom that he himself had experienced. He put the regulations aside so that he could show them that salvation was not dependent on those kind of things. And now he's pleading that they would be able to do the same thing. They need to stop living like there are added rules for their salvation. Paul was blessed to be able to come into their community and actually be taken care of by them. He, he reminds them that he was extremely ill when he came to, met, to, to meet with them. And it, they cared for him, even, even to the point of sacrificing, sacrificing themselves and their well-being for his sake. He's praising them because they were acting out of their faith in a very real and tangible way. But now he finds himself in a position of being rejected by the very people that he led to the Lord. They are turning their backs on him, and it's left him confused and heartbroken. They were giving up on the example that he brought to them, and they were giving up on the word from the Lord. Paul's trial reminds us that we need God to help us trust in his word. By that, I mean God must help us to live it even when it's not easy. What, what Paul was asking these Galatians to do, to, to leave behind Jewish customs and rules, was not easy. Particularly when there were teachers in the church saying these customs and these rules were necessary for salvation. This was not easy at all, which is probably why Paul implies in verse 12 that living and preaching like this wasn't easy for him. For instance, Paul was ostracized. Uh, in many ways for reaching out to the, the Gentiles like he did. He was ostracized first of all by the, the Jewish establishment for coming to Christ and for leaving Judaism to follow what they perceived as basically a cult. And then after he became a Christian and, and part of the church, he was ostracized by Jewish Christians for reaching out to the Gentile Christians. It wasn't easy to convert to Christianity in that first century, particularly if you had to leave Jewish customs and rules embedded in an old covenant in order to be part of a new covenant. In verse 29, Paul gives the example of Ishmael persecuting Isaac to make that very point. This is what happens when you walk by grace and live according to the word. Uh, the, you live according to the word by faith. You will be persecuted. Interestingly enough, though, persecution comes not only from the world, which we think of, but also from the religious establishment around you. This is a theme that runs throughout the Bible. The prophets were persecuted. And who was it that persecuted them? Was it the surrounding Gentile nations? No, it was the ruling Jewish establishment. 
Jesus was persecuted. By whom? By the Pharisees and religious leaders of the day who instigated his execution. In a similar way, Paul was persecuted by these Judaizers. What's the common theme here? When you start to live radically by grace, it will cost you. Sure, it will cost you on the outside world, and we, we see that, and we experience that, and we expect that, but you'll receive the most trouble from the religious world around you. Throughout the history of God's people, some of the greatest struggles have not come from the outside, but from the inside, and this continues to be true today. When people start to really trust in God's Word, when people start taking it at face value and believing it and living it, then there will be religious people who will rise up and they will make some noise. It will make them uncomfortable, so they will want to make you uncomfortable. You will be resisted by the religious establishment when you start to live out the Word. You may even be ostracized, discounted, and labeled a fanatic. The question for us is, will we live according to God's Word, even when it's not easy? For this, we need God's help. Not only do we need God to help us to, to live out the truth when it's not easy, but we also need God to help us to hear it when it's not popular. Paul closes out in verse 16 by saying, Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? This is where we see Paul's pastoral heart. He has said some hard things to the Galatians, not because he hates them, but because he loves them. Paul was willing to risk his own reputation with the Galatians by telling them the truth instead of telling them what they wanted to hear. You know, this is a, a good personal reminder for, for me or for anyone else who gets up uh, to teach from the scriptures. People love a preacher or a teacher who says just what they want to hear. You know, you can draw big crowds with that. You can gain, gain lots of fame with that. Uh, you, uh, and have everything go smoothly as long as you tell people what they want to hear. But when you tell the truth, people might look at you like you're their enemy. So the question for every Bible teacher and preacher is this. Do I, or, or do you, do you want to be popular or do you want to be faithful? Do I want to be faithful? I want to be faithful to God's word more than I want to be pleasing um, people and, and, and looking for their opinion. And here's something for all of us. As long as God's word is guiding us, let's ask God to help us hear it and receive it, even when it's not popular or when it's not pleasing to our ears. In verse 17, Paul talks about the strategy, uh, strategy of the Judaizers. They, they sounded like they cared for these believers. We said this before, but in fact, they did not care. Actually, they are leading the Galatians down a road that leads to hell. The Galatians didn't, they, they don't want to hear what Paul has to tell them. Um, that their, their friends are wicked uh, and, and, and not in their favor. On the contrary, they, they, they actually suspect Paul's motives. Therefore, Paul pleads with the Galatians not to see him as their enemy, telling them of his love for them. He, he wanted them to hear and receive the truth and reject the harmful lies. We too must be faithful to God's word, even when it exposes blind spots and areas of our lives that need radical adjustment, even when it contains truth that you, or frankly, I may not want to hear. Paul has asked us to pray that to God that we might be shown how to walk in his grace. Also, how we may be shown how to trust in his word. Paul then takes us to a place where we need to ask God to give us a passion for his purpose. Paul's going to use the word zeal here, and the reality is we need to have great zeal, passion, but it needs to be directed at the right purpose. What the outside teachers were bringing was zeal that led to division and confusion, and it didn't allow them to live in the freedom and purpose that God was intending for their lives. Galatians 4, 17 through 20 says this, 
They court you eagerly, but not for good. They want to exclude you from me so that you would pursue them. But it is always good to be pursued in a good manner and not just when I am with you. My children, I am again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice because I don't know what to do about you. Paul tells us in these verses what he's zealous for, what he's passionate about, and he uses the language of birth to describe it. I am again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. Based on these, this verse, we pray that God would give us a passion to be conformed to the image of Christ. The key word here is formed, which means to be shaped. More than anything else, Paul wanted wanted Christ to be the mold that would shape the lives of the Galatian church. Paul wants them to be like Christ. We, we see this in, in Paul's words in, in chapter 2, verse 20, where he speaks of Christ living in them. He uses the same kind of language in 2 Corinthians 4.10, as well as when he speaks of his purpose as an apostle, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. This was his purpose. This is the freedom that Paul is talking about, Christ shaping us, molding us, changing us, forming us into his image so that we might be liberated to experience life in him, for him, through him, by him, and with him. This would be my prayer and the prayer of all the other leaders of Faith Bible Church as well. And when we experience Christ's transformation in our lives, our desire should be that we see others transformed as well. This doesn't just stop with us. This is Paul's heart as a pastor, and it should be all of our hearts as well. We pray that God would give us a passion to see others transformed for the glory of Christ. Paul says that his experience is that like of a mother who, uh, whose longs, even through pain, to give birth to a child. Paul longed to see the Galatians transformed for the glory of Christ. This ought to be the heart of every follower of Christ. We should pray for each other. We should teach each other, model the Christ life uh, before each other uh, because we want to see everyone live in a transforming freedom that, that Jesus brings. We are not merely followers of Christ for our own sake. And I would dare say that we are not, it's not just for the sake of this church. We are here together for each other and for the purpose of transforming our community. This is why a church ought to be a, a community that weeps together, that, that pleads with each other, that confronts each other as necessary that prays with and for one another. We, we do this so that the image we show is not our own, but that of Christ Jesus, our Savior. And Paul says that he will not be satisfied until this happens for this church. May God help us to be a people who are not satisfied until Christ is formed in us, until we take on the shape of Christ. And that starts here in the group of us that have committed ourselves to one another uh, and to the work that, that uh, the, as the collective body of Faith Bible Church and the work that we are trying to accomplish together. May our prayer be that God help us to walk in his grace, that we gain a greater trust and understanding of his word, and that ultimately our passion and purpose expands beyond just us, but moves us into our communities as well. Lord Jesus, we come to you because you are a gracious God and a gracious Savior. We are at the end of this year and we thank you for carrying us through. We are starting a new year and we pray for your wisdom and your power to proclaim your name powerfully 
uh, over the next few months that we have in 2021. Lord, we, we are keeping our eyes focused on you. We are looking for you, for wisdom, to trust your word and to be guided in your purpose. And we come because we are united in you. We come in Christ's name.